So I don't know if this is true for you, if you've ever had something in your life that you wanted, but you did not know how you could actually get it. Uh, so for example, maybe it's not the perfect example, but for one of the things I've always wanted that I don't know how to get is tickets to a Duke Carolina basketball game. I'm one of the reasons why I say this all the time. But anyway, you might be like, well, how do you get it? You can buy a ticket, yes, but they're like $3,000 per ticket. So I, don't, I can't do that, right? So it's like, I want it, I can't, but I don't know what to do to actually make it happen other than to beg. Or... It, <laughs> In college, I, I, maybe some people don't want this, but like having a surprise party thrown for you is like really cool, but you can't like ask for that. Like that's just kind of weird. And uh, I remember one year, you know, my birthday is on May 14th. And so that, why that matters is usually in, in college, early May is when everybody leaves. And so like I never got to have a party like all my friends did. So one year, Christina uh, threw a surprise party on April 14th, the month before. And it was awesome. We went out to eat. There was a bunch of people there. And then we went back to campus and there was a bunch of people there again. And it was like, this is really awesome. I could have never asked for this, right? Like we all have things probably in our lives that we really, really want, but we're not quite sure how to actually get it. Now, I, I share that because this morning we're going to be looking at this question. How can we live a life in the Spirit? Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks as we've been uh, in our series Masterclass going through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, we're going to be in that series today. We're not going to look at 1 Corinthians today. Uh, we're going to just kind of bring together everything that we've been talking about, which is this idea that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers, that he manifests himself in a number of ways to help us love and encourage people better. And so kind of to bring this all together, what I don't want us to think uh, is that it's supposed to be just kind of like these one random one-off occurrences, that instead of just thinking thinking as the spirit of someone who every once in a while helps you uh, love and encourage other people. Instead, what does it look like to live a life in the spirit, in step with the spirit, and following God? I think sometimes we, we, we say, okay, I, I want to do that, but I don't really know like, how to actually make that happen. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, before we finish uh, getting to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians next week. And so a couple of things just kind of set this up for us. In John chapter 16, it'll be on the screen, uh, but Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them how he is soon going to die. Uh, he's going to resurrect. He's going to go ascend back into heaven. Of course, they don't fully understand what he means by that, what's actually going to happen, but understandably they're concerned. Like, what do you mean you're going to leave? Like, this isn't good. We need you to, to be here to help finish what it is that you came to start. And then he says this to them in verse 7. Uh, he says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth, that it is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the counselor, some translations say the helper, what he's talking about is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It is better for, for Jesus to leave for that to happen, which of course on the surface, it seems weird. Like God, why, Jesus, why would it be better for you to leave? That doesn't make sense. What he seems to be saying here is that it's actually better that I leave so that the power and grace of God may manifest himself in all believers instead of just me. Uh, and what we see with Jesus, I know it's kind of confusing, but when he came to earth, he lived 100, he was 100% God, but at the same time, he was still 100% man, which means part of the reason why he was sinless and why he was perfect and why he loved people so well, it's probably not just the fact that he was God, but it was also as a man, he was perfectly in step and in tune with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit empowered him to love people well. 
And what he's saying here is that this, this spirit that I have, it is better for me to leave so that you can take part and experience it. Now, you, you and I are not Jesus. You and I will not be perfect. But this helper, this counselor, it is better for me to leave so that you can have him in your life. Or he says uh, this in John chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 10. Again, he's talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. In other words, he's saying that I am, I am God in, in flesh, in coming. And part of the, the, the miracles and the things that I did were to show you that what I'm saying, what I've come to do to give my life for you is actually true. But then he says this in verse 12, which is also pretty curious. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. So he's talking to his disciples here, but it's really, it's applicable to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. And the question is this, what does Jesus mean by you will do greater works, right? I don't know about any of you, but I don't think any of you have probably raised someone from the dead. Uh, I don't think any of you have thrown a party where you created water out of wi uh, wine out of water, or, you know, whatever that's supposed to be. He, there was water turned into wine. I don't think any of you have walked on water. Like, that ain't ever happened. So what does he mean by you will do greater works? It, it could be, and of course, there's kind of debate uh, and discussion about this, but it could be that he's not talking about greater in power, but rather about greater in extent. That you and I will not do all the things that Jesus did, but the Spirit does empower us to do things that on our own could not have happened. And so I'll give you an example of this, that Jesus leaves. We all have his Spirit if we are stepped and in tune to spread the message of God, of what Jesus did to accomplish so that all of us could have the grace and forgiveness and mercy of him. Just give you an example of what we mean by this extent, that after Jesus was died, buried, and resurrected, he was on earth for 40 more days, and then he ascended back into heaven. A few days later, you have what's known as Pentecost, which is Peter, one of the disciples, uh, preaches the gospel uh, to people. And at, at Pentecost, over 3,000 people were saved. What's interesting is that more people were saved, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus at Pentecost than Jesus' entire earthly ministry. Right? Jesus left uh, the Spirit-empowered believers in that moment, and people came to know Jesus. And so what he's saying here is that it is better for me to leave so the Spirit can accomplish more through all of us than what would happen by just one person. And what's interesting is that I think for us, we need to understand and remember that the biggest determining factor in whether or not someone becomes a follower of Jesus is how they are loved. The biggest determining factor in someone becoming a follower of Jesus is how they are loved, which is in the same way, people that leave the church, people that walk away from the faith, it is very rarely because they studied the Bible and they came to a different conclusion or they studied history and they're like, I don't think Jesus resurrected. That's not what happens. What happens is they were hurt and they walked away. And so what's happening here is that the Spirit is empowering us to love and encourage other people so that as many people as possible can see Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And so what we want to know as we look at, look at what does it look like to live a life in the Spirit is this, that life in the Spirit is available to every follower of Christ. As we've been talking about this last few weeks, that life in the Spirit is available. It's not for the super Christians. It's not for everyone who knows every answer to every question about the Bible. It's not what it's about. 
It's, it's available to every follower of Christ. If we are intentional about wanting to love and serve and make a difference in other people's lives, God, through his spirit, will empower us to do it. You can think of it this way. It's probably not the best example, uh, but think of it this way. Let's say you have an older relative who you love and who is awesome, but maybe they have some money, and so like you're, you're going to be sad when they go, but at the same time, you're thinking, that inheritance, that ain't going to be bad, right? Now, just follow me for a second, right? <laughs> It ain't going to be bad. Why? Because when they leave, you get uh, some of their resources that you would not have had to do things you couldn't have done. The Holy Spirit is kind of like inheritance money. The difference is it doesn't run out, okay? The difference is it doesn't run out, that he gives us the ability to do things through his spirit that we could not have done on his own. That's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. So the question then becomes, what does it look like to live a life in step with him so that not for our benefit, not so we can say, look at all the cool things that I can do or that I've done, but so that people can see and understand Jesus. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Um, if not, there's, somewhere, there's a black one around you that you can read along if you would like. If you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black, one, black Bibles home with you. Now, Galatians chapter 5, the context of this passage is that Paul has been talking about, who Paul also wrote 1 Corinthians, he's also the author of Galatians, he's been talking about freedom in Christ, right? We talk about this all the time. I think sometimes we don't really understand what we mean by that, but that in Jesus, we are free that we're not under the, the, the yoke of slavery or sin, that we can actually follow Jesus and we are free in that. And that's important for us to know because then he starts talking about knowing that we are free in Christ. Here is how the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. Verse 16, chapter 5, he says this. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Uh, for the flesh uh, desires what is against the spirit. The flesh, just think of your, your own nature, what you want. Is it against, it's against the spirit. And this, what the spirit desires is what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. What do we know? Even if you're like a great person and you love people, there's still a tendency in all of us to be prideful, to be selfish, and the spirit is against that. Instead, he wants us to be selfless and to love others. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, you are free. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What he's saying here is that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're living a life in step with the Spirit, it's not that you will never sin, it's not that you will be perfect, but there is a desire and an aim to love God and to love others. And as we allow the Spirit to change our lives, we are more likely to do those positive things that he listed than the negative things. Now, here's the problem, however, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. You've, this passage, if you've grown up in church, or maybe you've only been a Christian a short amount of time, you've probably heard this passage. Here's the problem with this. We spend a lot of time talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but not so much time walking in the Spirit. 
We talk about what we're supposed to do, but we don't talk about much about how we're supposed to be. And what Paul is trying to say here is that you cannot experience the fruit of the Spirit if you are not living a life in the Spirit. Here's what happens. I'll, I'll use uh, my wife, Christina, as an example, because I think what she did in college is what, how we kind of view this. Uh, a freshman year of college, she had just become a Christian, so she was learning all these things, and it was just awesome, right? She was passionate. She wanted to follow Jesus, and she had a list of the fruits of the Spirit on one of the, like her, her closet or her dorm wall, right? And love, joy, peace, patience, all these things, and then she had these little sticky notes. It was like yellow, orange, and green or something like that, and each week, at the end of the week, she would put a colored sticky note next to each fruit of the Spirit to determine how well she did that that week, right? Her thing was like, okay, did I actually do these things? Which on the surface, right, that sounds, that sounds good. Like, how well did I do, right? That's, that's good. Here's the problem, though. That the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we do. The fruit of the Spirit is something that happens as a result of following Jesus. That this passage is not telling us, okay, here are the things that you have to do, and if you do them well, that means that the Spirit will be in your life. And that's actually the exact opposite. It, 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 what it's supposed to be is that as you follow the Spirit, as you follow Jesus, these things will come about as you, as you uh, pursue Jesus. It's not that you pursue these things and then you get Jesus. It's that as you pursue Jesus, His Spirit will empower you to do these things. Think of it like this. Like maybe think of a fruit tree, right? A fruit tree, as it's, as it's kind of like maybe an apple tree or whatever, as it's trying to produce fruit, it's not out there in the field or the orchard going, like... <laughs> Like, you're not doing that, right? It's not straining, right? You know, like, the, you do this, like this, like, that's Roman, my 18-month-old, when he's pooping. Like, that's what he's, he's always running around, he is always screaming, he's always dancing, right? The only time he is silent is when, and when he is still is when he is straining. Now, you might not want that picture, but what happens, right? What, what does a fruit tree do? It sits and it abides and it takes in the nutrients from the sun and from the ground and from the soil and it, it stretches out its branches. And when it does those things, then fruit is produced, right? It is by abiding in the natural processes that, it, that what makes fruit, that makes it possible. It's not trying really hard. It's not straining. It's not saying, did I do the fruits of the spirit this week? And they say, I'm going to abide in what I need to do in order to make these things happen. And then they flow as a result of them Selves. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is a response to the power and the Spirit of God. It is not a response from you and I trying really hard. And so, again, the question is how do we do this? How does the fruit of the Spirit come about, and how do we live a life in the Spirit? Paul is going to give us three ways uh, that we could do that. And here's the first thing he says In order to live a life in the Spirit, the first thing he says is that you and I need to walk in or walk by the Spirit. He says this in, in verse 16 and in verse 25. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Or verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? What, what probably would, the images that probably would have conjured up in the original uh, readers of this letter would have been the image of soldiers marching in step, right? You know, soldiers, you know, doing their thing, whatever. It probably looked really cool back then because they had all their gladiator stuff. I don't know. Right? But they would walk in step, right? Now, if you ever see this happen, it looks pretty cool. Like, you know, soldiers doing these things, and they're all organized. And you're, you look at that, and you're like, how did they do that? Now, I don't know. I've never been in the military. I've never walked in steps, so I've read about it. And you know how when I don't really know what I'm talking about, sometimes things aren't explained well. So I'm going to explain as best that I figured out I could. 
when you walk in step, right, when you have a, a squad of soldiers, what, what happens is they are not looking at their right and their left and trying to copy everybody, because that would be problematic, because you know, when you turn, like some people just move a little bit, and some people have to move a lot right, to keep in step. What happens instead is that there is a squad leader, typically in the front corner of, of the unit, that everybody looks at. Everybody follows that squad leader, and everybody takes their cues from them to determine where they are supposed to go and how they are supposed to march. They march in step by not looking at everybody else, but by looking at the squad leader. I think of, you know, Finley, she's four and a half, and our, our, our Roman, who's one and a half. I think of it this way, that Roman copies everything Finley does, every action, every step that she takes, which is, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I feel bad for Finley sometimes because we have to tell her no, that she can't do a lot of things that it's perfectly fine for her to do because Roman tries to do it. Like earlier this week, maybe you think that this shouldn't happen. I don't, I don't know. I think it's fine. She was jumping off of her bed onto the floor, which I'm like, that's great. Do that. <laughs> but Roman was in her room and Roman will literally jump off the bed onto the floor and break his face open. Like he will do that. And so we had to tell her, you can't do that because Roman is watching everything that you do and he copies you. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? That when it comes to living a life in the spirit and walking by the spirit, that we can't take our cues from people to the left or to the right, but instead from the spirit. Let me give you maybe an example. Let's, I don't know, like watching TV, right? What can happen if you're a follower of Jesus? Sometimes you can look at people and say, well, this person watches like some stuff. I don't think it's pretty racy stuff. Like, I don't think they should watch. It. I'm not going to do that. And this person, well, they don't watch any TV, and that's kind of boring, and so I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to, do, I'm going to look to my left, I'm going to look to my right, and I'm going to find like a, a middle ground. Right? I'm going to do what I think based on what they have done. The problem is that the spirit, what might be okay for some, some person may not be okay for you, and we end up comparing ourselves to others instead of focusing in on what God might want us to do in a giving situation. And what happens when we compare ourselves to other, others is it leads to either self-righteousness, I'm not like that person, I can't believe they watch that, how dare they, or it leads to guilt. Yeah, I'm not quite as good as that person. Maybe I should try really harder. Maybe I should, I should strive better, and then God will be more pleased with me. What Paul is saying here is to walk by the Spirit means not to compare to your left or to your right or to other people, but to follow the Spirit and see what He might want you to do to ask for His wisdom and His guidance and to follow Him above other people. So the first thing Paul tells us to do is walk by the Spirit. Here's the second thing Paul tells us to do to live a life in the Spirit. He says to be led by the Spirit. He says to walk by the Spirit and then to be led by the Spirit, verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so what is, what is basically happening here? As he's saying that what you are led by determines what you produce. And we all know this, right? What you are led by determines what you produce. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. So if you are led by yourself and your own desires, even if you have the best of intention, we all fall short, right? We all do things that even we would admit are wrong. And so if you are your leader, you will fall into maybe sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, all these things, right? If you're led on your own, this can be what happens to you. However, if you are led by the Spirit, what does he say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What you are led by or what you are guided by ends up producing in, in your life what happens. And maybe you could think of it like this. 
um, when, a, when a ship or a vessel or a boat is out sea, is at sea, the captain is not, think of it this way, the captain is not the one that's actually driving the boat. It's, a, it's the quartermaster or it's the pilot, right? And so they're, they're driving the boat, right? They're in charge. They're making sure the boat is on course. However, whenever a, a ship or a vessel or a boat gets into a territory, uh, maybe the, a river or maybe a harbor uh, where, there's, where there's needed local knowledge, but they need to be careful, what they will do is they will stop, they will put out their anchor, they will call a what's called a harbor pilot to come into the boat to guide them, to tell them where to go. So for example, I was explaining this to Brian, who's on staff here recently, and he was like, oh, that makes so much sense. He said, last time I went on a cruise, I had somebody tell me, hey, when the, when the ship leaves the port, make sure, take a look at the back of the ship. You'll see this like little tugboat thing and they'll go to the ship and there will be literally someone who jumps out of the ship onto the boat. He's like, it was the weirdest thing. I don't understand like how that could happen. What that is, is the harbor pilot. Here's the job of a harbor pilot. The harbor pilot will say, okay, you're in this river, you're in this estuary. I'm going to come onto this ship. Now I can't actually legally drive the boat. They cannot do it. It's not their cargo. It's not their people. Instead, they'll stand next to the pilot and they'll say, hey, you know, you need to turn 20 degrees here because there's a, there's an there's a underground pipe in the, in, the, in, the, in the river that if you hit that, it's going to burst. Or there's a, there's a really quick turn, uh, current over here, so you need to, to turn this way. Or maybe there's a, a sand dune or whatever you call those things when there's sand under the water. I don't know. Right? You got you to watch out for that. So they'll tell them, you know, you got to turn here. You got to turn here. And it is up to the pilot to listen to those instructions. Now, you, you could say, again, in our lives, what, we, what do we want? We want God to just to tell us. We want to say, God, you do this. God, tell me what to do here. God, lead me here. Like, be explicitly clear every time. And what he's saying here is, no, 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 no. The, the Spirit came, that Jesus came to give us freedom. He didn't come to command us, to tell us what to do in every situation. Instead, he came to guide us, but it's up to us if we want to listen. And so this is really important. In fact, recently in Oregon, somehow this boat turned into a, a four-lane highway because the pilot disregarded what the advice of the harbor pilot. Or in Georgia recently as well, uh, a boat ran over a natural gas uh, pipe and, and made a big leak in, in the river, and now there's this big legal battle. Was it the pilot's fault for not listening to the harbor pilot? Or was it the harbor pilot's fault for not giving the right instruction? What he's saying here is that Jesus came for our freedom, that the Holy Spirit will not make you do anything, but he will lead you and he will guide you. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced this. You, you may hear, okay, I want you to maybe to, to wake up 15 minutes earlier just to spend some time with me before your, before your day starts to get you on the right track. Or, or maybe when you're, you're at the grocery store and I want you to, to get into this line because maybe the person at the register needs to be encouraged and you're going to have something that I want you to share with them today. And so you, so you, so you listen to that. Or maybe, maybe today I want you to go to lunch with that coworker that nobody else likes. And I know you don't want to do it, but they're, they're struggling right now and there's something in your story that will make them feel encouraged. And so, so you, it's up to you whether you want to turn to turn and to follow him. Or maybe, you know, maybe the Spirit's saying, I want to, you to double your offering to New City Church this week. Get behind me, Satan. Let's not, right? right? So it's up to you, right? It's up to you whether or not you want to, to listen, right? The Spirit, he, he leads us. He, he guides us. And whether, whether or not we listen is up to us. That there is freedom in Jesus. He will not make us do anything, but he will lovingly guide us and correct us to follow him. It's not about comparing other people. It's about being in step and being led, and actually doing what the Spirit might be leading you to do. That's the second way that we can live a life in the Spirit. And then here's the third way. 
The third way is to be filled by the Spirit. That Paul gives one other example of what does it mean to live a life in the Spirit, and that is to be filled. Now, this is in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Paul says this. Um, it'll be also on the screen in verse 18. He's also the author of Ephesians. He says this. is in one other way to be led by the Spirit. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear of Christ. Now, the question is, what does this mean? Like, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Like, how do you actually do that? In other words, how do you, how do you obey a passive verb, right? If I tell you to call your grandma, that makes sense. If I tell you to be called by your grandma, you're like, well, I don't know how to do it, right? You might be thinking, my grandma wants me to call her all the time, and maybe she needs to know that like, it works both ways, you know, so like they can call me too. I mean, maybe I should call them more, right? But how do I actually make them call me, right? How do I obey a passive verb? You can't, what does that actually mean? The, the example that comes to mind here is a sailing example. You see, in the original Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, uh, the Greek word for spirit is also the same word for wind and breath. They all mean the same thing. And so when, we, when he says to be filled by the Spirit, it's not to bring to mind this image of a bucket, right? Like you can't like leak, like if you like fall over, then you like got to get under the spigot again to get filled back up. And you got to like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is think of it being filled uh, by the wind and the breath of God. You can think of, again, like maybe a sailboat, right? A sailboat cannot move unless there is wind to take it, right? If there's no wind, there is no movement. But at the same time, if you don't know how to sail, if there is wind or movement, you're not going to go anywhere. And if you ask people that know how to sail, which, you know, it's not me, they will tell, if you ask them, what does it take to sail? Does it take experience or does it take the wind and the power? They will tell you the answer to that question is yes. It takes both. It takes being attentive. It takes the wind to actually move. And it actually takes experience to make it happen. This is why we've been talking about this prayer over these last few weeks, that you and I could pray, say, dear God, help me love you and love others today by the power of your spirit. In other words, we need the Spirit to move, but then we need to react when He does. This is why Paul warns us about against living a life in the flesh, or maybe put another way, to against living a life in, in your own strength or by your own muscles, that you will get tired, that you will not always be able to do what you want to do. So instead of your strength and your effort, it's about abiding in God through His Spirit. And in order to do that, you need experience but you also need the habits. This is why I know it's kind of a boring term, but things like spiritual disciplines are important, like spending time in prayer, a corporate worship, loving and encouraging one another. They help us attune to what God might be doing in our life. You need the experience of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, but also the habits that when He moves, that you can follow His lead. Maybe give an example that you might be familiar with. Uh, think of it like this, like boogie boarding, like in the ocean. I give a surfing example, but I hate getting up early and I hate being cold, and so I never learned how to surf because I don't know why you would do that for fun, um, even though we lived at the beach for a while, right? But if you've ever gone boogie boarding, what do you do? Like you get on the board, especially if you're a kid, and you wait for a wave. And if you don't know what you're doing, or if you mess up and you get too far into it, or you, you go before you're supposed to, and the boogie board nose dives, right? You ever done this? And then you get on the water and like jabs you in the stomach and you think you're going to drown because it's only like two seconds, but you can't get up, right? What happens there, right? The, the, the wind or the, the, the water moves, but you didn't know what you were doing. 
And so what we're supposed to do in order to live a life uh, by the Spirit, uh, you, you could put it this way. You think of it like this, that a life in the Spirit is attentive responsiveness to an external power. Life in the Spirit is an attentive responsiveness. We have to uh, be obedient and, and listen, and then when he moves, we have to respond to an external power. Now, let me be clear here. When I say external power, I don't mean some like impersonal God. We mean the God who loves us, who gave his life for us, who is a, a deeply involved in our life. And if we want to live a life in the Spirit, we have to be attentive. We have to ask him to move, and then we have to respond when he does. And in order to do this, all we have to do is follow the habits. For example, that, that uh, Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, uh, you know, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music with a heart, uh, giving thanks to everything, and even submitting to one another. In other words, it, it kind of gives ideas of, of singing and corporate worship and gathering together. These are one of the graces that God gives us to love and encourage us to follow him. He talks about thanksgiving, about being thankful, about remembering when God has moved in the past to help you trust and follow him in the future. He talks about submitting to one another, which is why relationships are important, or, or community groups, or having community in your life. Sometimes we think following Jesus is all about these like crazy big things that we have to do, and hopefully God will move. And he says, no, 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 these are the daily graces, the weekly, the monthly graces that I've given you. And when you do those things, you are more attentive to the Spirit. Listen to me, uh, that life in the Spirit is not a secretive or mystical experience. It's not supposed to be some weird, like, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Instead, we do it by, again, living into these regular graces that God gives us. Being here this morning is a grace that, that's taking a step of being attentive to what God is doing in our life. In other words, don't live by your flesh or by your muscles, but by the Spirit. And, and so maybe if you could wrap all of this up, I know it's already on the screen. Here's really the, the point, the, the bottom line, not just for today, but for these last few weeks as we move on from the Spirit next week as we get to chapter 15 and uh, wrap up Masterclass, and that's this, that you can't do life for Jesus unless you are doing life with Jesus. You can't do life for Jesus unless you are doing life with Jesus. And we do life lift Jesus by doing some of the things that we talked about, by being attentive to his spirit. Sometimes we think, God, I can't do anything. God, you're surely not going to use me. God, I don't have the, the, the natural abilities and passions and money and prestige that other people have. So what are you going to do with me? And Paul's trying to remind us here that if you want to make a difference to the kingdom, if you want to make a difference in your coworkers or the people that are in your lives, the people that you are doing life with, that can only happen if you're first following and doing life with me. And the good news about all of this is that this is all tied to the gospel. What's the gospel that God did for us? What we could not do for ourselves, that he gladly laid down his life. He came to us, to earth, to do for us what we could not do, lived a perfect life, perfectly in step with the Spirit, never sinned, gave himself as a sacrifice to defeat sin and darkness and evil, so that anybody, not when you try really hard, not when you do really good things, but even today, right where you are, there is grace, forgiveness, and mercy for you. And so he invites us into his mission, again, not when we follow him perfectly or do really good things, but simply make ourselves available and ask, uh, ask him to use us in powerful ways. The gospel is what we say often, that because of Jesus and what he's done for us, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. And instead, in response to this gift of grace that God has given us and wanting as many people as possible to see and experience the life that is God has given us in his spirit, we love and serve others just like uh, this gift of salvation is free. So is the gift of the spirit. And so is life in the spirit. You're not going to be perfect. 
You're not going to get it right every single day, but we have to remember that we cannot do life for Jesus unless you are doing life with Jesus, and that is what the Spirit is empowering us to do. Listen, you and I can make a difference. You and I can be used by God. It starts by making ourselves available and by pursuing Him, and if we walk by the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, and if we're filled with the Spirit, that is the type of people that God uses. Again, it's not some mystical experience. It's not some hard thing that only the super Christians can attain. It's daily graces. It's following Jesus. Because remember, you can't do life for Jesus unless you are doing life with Jesus. And that is what the Spirit has designed us and helped us to do. So let's pray.